Hello, welcome back to the Friends of Dorothy, Emmy, Oscar, and Tony, your local channel for all things television, film, and theater. Uh, part of my appearance, I just got back a few hours ago from a solo trip in New York where I saw a couple shows. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about Goodnight Oscar. So, Goodnight Oscar, yeah. and for reference, Cole hasn't seen this. He didn't see either no. of the shows I saw yesterday. No, because so. you want to do three weekends in New York, and... It's a lot for an introvert. I'm doing a lot this month. I think for me, I'll have seen two, four, five, six, seven, nine Broadway shows by the by Memorial Day. So yeah, this so. month. So it's a great month. Um, so this will both be a review for all of you and also a breakdown for Cole, so he can know what he missed. Um, what I miss. So, <laughs> Good Night Oscar is a play about. I don't. I did think it was a one. I thought it was a one man show. Yeah, and I mean, it's because it's like a star vehicle for Sean Hayes. Yeah. Um, they're really only advertising and marketing him, which I think is a bit of a flaw because it is like a full ensemble piece that requires the other players for it to succeed. Right. Um, but the main piece of the show is Sean Hayes. So, Goodnight Oscar is a play about pianist, composer, conductor, Oscar Levant. Um, he was around in the early 20th century. And it's a... It follows just one night of his life. I wasn't sure what the plot was going to be, but it follows one night at the NBC studios in 1958 where they're having him on The Tonight Show to talk. Let's talk about the cast a little bit. So on top of Sean... Who was on top of Sean? Who's on top? Every, I think <laughs> everyone's been on top of Sean. No, so um, the other folks who are in the cast, so we've got... Um, Bob Sarnoff and Jack Parr, who are workers for The Tonight Show. And then um, June Levant, who is Oscar's wife, and she has a prominent presence in the show. So it starts off with Bob and Jack at NBC talking about how they're going to have Oscar on for the show that night. And it's clear from the beginning that he's a very controversial TV presence. Polarizing. Yes. So when he gets on TV, he usually stirs up a lot of controversy. He says a lot of very politically charged things okay. about certain subjects, and especially back in, like, you know, the 50s, 60s. There's a lot of topics that weren't really talked about on TV yet, but Oscar was always pushing that. That was a great decade for America. <laughs> so they're talking about how they're going to have him on, but they're worried about his behavior a little bit. Um, and then we meet June, his wife, who comes in and basically says, so I had Oscar committed because, Rehab. yeah, or mental institution, M mental institution more. Um, she pretty much alludes to the fact that he had some sort of psychotic breakdown. She had him committed. So she has to go basically get him a four hour vacation pass to be able to leave, come do the show and then go right back. It's based on the real event. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a real event that happened. And it's interesting too because I I'll get to this at the end. I wasn't sure like if this was a commentary on the end of his life, but this was 14 years before he died. So it's actually like pretty, you know, still early on in his life and his career and everything. Mm -hmm. Um so basically she has to get him uncommitted for that short amount of time. Um there's a Doctor's assistant played by Marchant Davis, who was an Ain't No Mo, so it was cool. I got to see him in two different productions this year. Um, he plays Alvin Finney, who's the doctor, one of the doctors at the mental institution. Um, the doctors think he is leaving to go to his daughter's graduation, 
And then lo and behold, they're driving to the NBC studios to film the tonight show. So same thing. Yeah. So we, <laughs> so it's interesting. Cause like we get the first 20 minutes of the show. We don't meet Oscar yet. It's really the setup of this perception of who Oscar is. And really from the, I like the way they did it because they set it up that he's like this diva that he has all these crazy demands, you know, like these things, it's in my right. Like, you know, um, I need a certain dressing room, no windows. I need this temperature of hot coffee, like all these very specific things. So you think he's going to be a total diva. And then all of a sudden you hear this lewd, thick, like Western Pennsylvania accent ringing through the background. And it's Oscar having a fit about what's going on in the studio. And he stumbles in. Of course, everyone loses their shit in the audience because we get Sean Hayes on stage for the first time. Um... And what could I really... You, could you see that him from where you were sitting? Because I knew you were... Yes, yeah. So I had... I did the rush yesterday. Um, their rush tickets are $25 and it's for the front row. Um, front row can be risky depending on how high the stage is. The stage is pretty high. Other people in my row had booster seats. Shorter folks. Um, but for me, I could see everything great. And we'll get into how it really actually... A lot of it was wonderful to be that close. But a couple things were a little spoiled because... Okay. It wasn't... It was staged for a further audience, but you could see the tricks up close, like if you were at the very front. Which happened in POTUS, because we were able to see like the turnstile. Like some of yes, that, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, like the throw, the blue throw up. Yeah, and the button. Because you like can see the do. button. Yeah, yeah. We were so close. Um, so I liked. At first, I was like, "Man, this is starting out kind of slow." And do they need the setup? But as the show went on, I really liked that they did it because, again, they set up this perception that. He's this total diva asshole, but he starts to get situated. There's an assistant who works at um, NBC, Max Weinbaum, played by Alex Weiss, who he was so phenomenal. If anyone else has seen this, please comment because I thought he was like Tony nomination worthy. It's like the equivalent of Nick Barish and She Loves Me, like playing the very young and innocent and like cheery assistant, except we're in a grungy ass NBC studio in the fifties <laughs> and not a beautiful little fantasy parfumery in Europe. Um, but anyway, so Sean comes in and you start to figure out that he's not a diva. He really has a, he, he has OCD. That's really what they allude to and that they're okay. showing. So Is that confirmed in history. I believe so, um, and they talk about it a little bit within the show, too. Okay. Um, but, you know, so, for example, like, Alex's Al Al character, Max, the assistant, brings him a coffee, sets it, sets the cream down on one side, like, the sugar stuff on one side, and the coffee in the middle, and, like, Oscar, Sean as Oscar, immediately, like, rearranges all of it, and then he pours his cream in, and he does a very, like, calculated stirring method. He does one, two, three, four, stops, reverse, four, three, counts two, it. one. Yes, counts it out loud and everything. Okay. So it's cool, because then you start to see the complexities of, like, what his mannerisms are, and they're not just, like, you know, how they set it up to be, that he has... Well, especially in that time period, you know, we didn't know a lot about mental health at yes. all. Everything was stigmatized, anxiety, depression, even autism, like, everything that... The, we didn't understand how the brain worked. Yeah. So, his panic from probably his OCD was deemed as, like, 
diva behavior. Yeah, no, totally. And then it gets deeper in where, because I think, especially nowadays, you know, people like to think that like OCD things are cute and that they have like traits that they think are OCD, but really aren't. Um, and so it starts out as like these smaller things, like his coffee and everything. And then, oh, and before we meet him too, they talk about how he had a meltdown one time at a performance because someone wished him good luck instead of saying break a leg. Yeah. And he fully evacuated the theater, like left 3000 plus people stranded who were there to see him play. Um, I mean, same. So like, he's very same. superstitious. Yeah. Um, Side note, sorry. Uh -huh. Keep that thought. We in high school, we 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 did a, we were doing a show, and we had one of my old my old best friends. Um, you can't say Macbeth, right? On stage, it's like temp. I accidentally I said it in the theater during putting it together, and people freaked. Yeah, was that the night you forgot your words? <laughs> I, I think it might be actually. Ooh. It might be. I don't um, think it was, but it well, might be. They she said Macbeth. It might have been the night I dropped Ashley. Actually, say something will go wrong. Yes. The, the superstition is real when it comes to performing because I remember somebody said it and people had full panic attacks. I was too dumb to realize what was happening, but mm -hmm. that was the night that we, we did the Scott Cooper down, the guillotine fell, like, on stage. Yeah. And there's no, like, acting around that because it, the show's about cutting people's heads off. Right. So. Yeah, so... It starts... They do a really, really good job of setting... This play does a really good job of setting up Oscar Levant as a holistic character. Right. Um, so they start out with these small traits and then there's some things. And so then we start getting the backstory from his wife, June, um, played by Emily, Emily, sorry, Emily Burgle, who some of y'all might recognize her from Shameless. I forget her character's name in Shameless. Um, Sammy? She was Chucky's mom. Right. That's all I remember. Yeah. I think, I think her name was Sammy in the show. Um, she was wonderful, but she kind of starts to tell the story about what happened the night she had him committed. Um, and basically, you know, she had found him on the bathroom floor in fetal position. He had like went on a full meltdown, chased her he, and he has three daughters as well, chased her and her, their daughters like into a room and was just like in a full blown manic state. Yeah. And then eventually crashed and she, to the point where she had to take him to, you know, be institutionalized. Um, so then we start to transition into where Oscar's passion for music comes from. Um, so he grew up in Pittsburgh. He was forced into playing piano by his mother. Um, he says that she tied him to the bench and like forced him to practice until it was perfect. Um, you know, so he did all of those things. Trauma. <laughs> um, he eventually left Pittsburgh because the type of music he was playing just wasn't pleasing people out in Pittsburgh. And I think it was like, he was trying to play the classics in Pittsburgh, but they hated it. So then, cause they wanted to hear the blues. And then so we moved to New York, started playing the blues and then all the uppity New York people wanted to hear the classics and everything, you know? Um, and then we start to learn that he had a very strong mentor relationship with George Gershwin, very, very famous composer. Um, Is that what the theater's named after? Yeah. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, the Gershwin Theater. Where Wicked's at? Fact. Oh, yeah. I'm 99% sure. If I'm wrong, feel free to fact check me. But yeah, named after George Gershwin. So George Gershwin is a literal character in the show. Um, 
And so part of Oscar's mental state too is he goes into full dissociative delusions. Um, and so we kind of see a first one happen where he's talking about his music and his love of playing and where it came from. And he starts doing the, I forget what it's called, but where like you associate sounds with colors and everything. Oh, it's a complicated word, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and so he starts talking about all these shades of blue about, like, this music he was playing and everything. And, like, the scenery, like, plays into it and the lighting and everything where he's, like, fully dissociated and, like, in his own world about it. Um, do so, they do the colors on stage? Or is he just Not so much. And maybe they could have done that a little bit more. I also had some issues with the way they did some of those scenes because it felt... We'll talk, we'll talk about yeah, that yeah, technically. Yeah. Um... So he has a, the first one happens, the doctor's there, the assistant's there, um, cause the assistant's asking, cause the assistant, um, Max, he's asking him, he's saying, oh my God, I'm such a fan of your playing, of your work, like, you know, I'm a huge super fan, and is questioning him about his process, his learning method and everything, and then so Oscar starts to like, you know, associate into that space, and the doctor is sort of like, let it happen, like, you know, let him go there and do this thing, and then he starts to go too deep, and they're like, all right, come on, come back, come back, come back, come back. Um... So that happens one time, we start to learn about Gershwin, and basically Oscar had found Gershwin's music and started playing it, and playing it in his own style, his own flair. He ended up like recording a professional recording of it, and went to, called up Gershwin, and was like, hey listen, I think I've recorded the best version of your music so far to date, and You're I welcome. need you to hear it. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was that, like, grand delusion, but, you know, as an artist who didn't have much connection or anything, he he was determined to make his music heard. And more so than that, he instantly, like, felt this connection to Gershwin that he thought he might have had the same brain as him. Yeah. Where he's like, I think you'll understand this. And Gershwin's like, you know what, I do. Like, you know, and it's cool that we both share that. He goes to Gershwin's place and, like, makes him listen to it and everything while he's having a party. Um... It's all happening on stage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, we get the we get a flashback where we meet the Gershwin character for the first time, where it's them meeting, yeah. and Oscar introducing him to his style of the music and everything. Um, and then as we start to go further and further, the biggest thing, and you kind of start to figure it out, is the show is going to end, the play is going to end with Oscar either getting on air for the show or not. Because, like, as you figure out the timing and then, like, towards the end, they start being like, all right, like, we got 20 minutes till airtime. We got 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 seconds. Like, you know, okay, it's yeah. all leading up to Oscar getting on the live stage for The Tonight Show. Yeah. Um, and as we go on, Oscar starts getting a lot more antsy. He's a, he's a drug addict, too. You know, he's a total pill addict. Pills. Um, I think partially because he... Well, they say it in the beginning. They set it up where... He had two doctors prescribing him contradicting medications that they didn't know the, that the other doctor was. So mm. he was on like a whole prescription, like a whole pharmacy worth of shit. Um, got addicted. And so he's basically going through withdrawal because he's been at this. We find out he's been at this faci uh, facility for about a month. Um, and he gets his like two doses a day, like morning, night sort of thing. Wake up, go to bed. Okay. So then there's a point in the show where... Um, June and Alvin, his wife and his doctor, have to go to leave to talk about something because 
I think going into this, I thought there's gonna be so much piano playing, but it's really just at the end, you know? And it's, again, it's, I think it's a good buildup that the play does. They make you wait for it, like, yeah. until the very end. And there's an argument because Oscar's basically like, I, they, the producers want him to play on the show. They're like, you know, it'll be good for the ratings. It's what the people want. You know, why don't you go out there and represent yourself? And he's like, I'm not, he's basically like, I'm not in a mental state to do so. You know, he has really bad arthritis too. He's very, he's clearly very self-conscious about his talent and where he's at now in his life. Um, he's basically like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so his doctor and his wife leave to go discuss it and everything. And so it's just Oscar and the assistant Max there. And, um, the doctor had Max lock up his briefcase of like all of his medical supplies and Oscar convinces him to go get it and bring it to him um, so that he can have his pills. Cause he's like, I can't, he's like, I'm still having him at 8 PM, 8 PM every night. Um, and so the kid's like, I got to help him like go get him his pills. So the Max goes and gets the box for him. Oscar sees, gets a pill out, is going to take it. And then as the Max is leaving the room, he goes, oh, and good luck, slams the door. And it's like an audible gasp from the audience, which I thought it was like kind of kitschy. Because remember oh, how like yeah. at the beginning I said he like he had a total meltdown over someone yeah, wishing yeah, him yeah, good yeah. luck. So it's like this faded moment on Oscar. And then instead of taking the one pill, he takes the entire bottle. Um, and this is what I was talking about with being too close, because like no pills fell out of the bottles. He chugged them like they were all clearly like kind of capped off or something at the top. Um, so nothing came out. And so it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, I wish like they could have done something somehow to like, yeah, but like it, it was a, almost a little high school where like nothing came out of the bottle. So like, was there anything in the bottle? Yeah, there were pills in it and it's almost like they blocked the opening okay, okay. and then maybe like on top of that under the cap, they had the one he's supposed to take out and take. Um, but yeah, and then just nothing else came out ah. or I don't know if they got jammed or something. I don't know. But so he takes the entire bottle. Um, but you see the pills still. Yeah. How do you know he's supposed to take the whole bottle though? Cause like he, he literally does the thing and like, oh, so like his gesture is. Yeah. 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 He clearly that. acts out that he's taking the entire bottle. Wait, go ahead. Um, and then it gets into the part of the show that I really enjoyed. Cause then they really kind of break the fourth wall. So like he does that, the set moves back, the curtain comes down and then, um, is it Bob or Jack? It's, um. Jack comes out. He's the host of The Tonight Show. So he comes out around the curtain and he starts talking to the audience like we're the Tonight Show audience. Warming it up. Yeah, warming them up and like talking about how they got Oscar Levant on and everything while they're setting up the new set backstage. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really, I thought, smart way of doing it. Um, so then the curtain goes up and the set's really cool because it's like two chairs in the middle with like the sound studio and like all the walls are like lined with the white like acoustic paneling kind of yeah. thing and like the light grid up top looks really legit like it's an actual studio and everything it was really really cool um so then we get like a 10-15 minute interview period with the two of them and oscar's about to start tripping balls basically because he just took this whole fucking bottle of pills um and beforehand the um bob who's like president or director or something of the um or i think he's like director of productions or whatever he basically is like jack or he's like oscar you gotta keep it PG. Like, we can't have you going off on your usual little rants and tangents about political stuff. Like, don't talk about politics, religion, or sex. Like, sort of thing. Yeah. But Jack, the host, is basically like, I, 
the interview starts and he's like, I'm, I'm going to push for this. Cause like, you know, ratings. Well, yeah. And he just knows like, it's so much more entertaining. Well, I'll say like, especially in that time, but all the way to like the nineties, they pushed so many people into interview and Nicole Smith, like, like that, those, it was so, it was so, you start to realize how fucked up it is. Yeah. It, they and had, there's that big pull of like when everybody was talking about David Letterman was an awful person. He made people really uncomfortable for a very long time. Yeah. So it's very that predatory mindset. Totally, totally. And so the biggest thing I'd heard about this. So for reference, I just started watching Will and Grace for the very first time about a month ago. I'm in season three. So like I am now. He's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I am now, I'm now fully in like my Sean Hayes and Megan Mullally obsession era. And so I had already I had already wanted to see this before I started Will and Grace, but of course after you know meeting Jack McFarland, I was like I I, I want to see this guy on stage. Yeah. And everyone was saying you know he's so different, he's doing something he's really never done he's before. Great actor. And so I thought this was really going to be like a drama. It's fucking funny. The show is really funny. The way Sean portrays Oscar is so devastating, but like his cadence is just so it's irresistible to laugh. You know, like you have to. Mm-hmm. The way he delivers things, the way he says things, like, and at the end of the day, he's a Oscar Levant was a sick individual, but like he he had a crassness about him that was funny. Also, also some some the best forms of drama have a little bit of comedy. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and and also the best comedic actors usually make some of the best dramatic actors. So it was probably just a great vehicle for yeah, yeah. So we him. get to this interview, and it is like ten fifteen minutes of nonstop laughs because like. They start talking about, like, just regular stuff, then they get into, like, religion, and then politics, and then sex. Oh, my, excuse me, what was the one joke he said? Um, I don't remember, but I'm sure if you've seen it, you know that there are some, like, incredible, like, one-liners in in this show. Um, so, I don't know how much of, I don't know how much of it was pulled from, like, a real interview versus how much of it was, like, originally written, but it was, yeah. it was really, really funny. Um, so, is your turn balls yet? Not quite, and so it gets towards the end. Basically, they had said to him, "All right, like he Oscar thinks he's not playing piano. He thinks it's gonna be an interview, and that's it." And then before they cut to break, Jack is like, "All right," and when we get back, we have a performance from Oscar Levant. And then so he starts freaking out and is like, "This wasn't the deal. Like, what the fuck?" And then June, his wife, comes out and is like, "Oscar, if so, to set it up a little bit beforehand." Oscar has a little bit of a breakdown because he's like, I want to come home. He's like, I want, I miss my robe. I miss my ratty robe that I wear every day. I miss my daughters, like all this stuff. Yeah. And June's like, you can't come home. Like, we all know that you need help. I, and she's basically like, if, if what happened that sent you here happens again, I'm going to leave you. Yeah. And so at the Just commercial break, she comes in and she's like, if you play, I will let you come home. And it's like really like, damn, you know, and it's, it's, I, I'm curious still about her motivation in that. I don't know if maybe she thought him playing again for such a large audience would help fix him. I don't know if she was worried it might be one of his like last opportunities to do it. Um, so he's basically like, all right, like I'll do it. And then, so they, bring the curtain down again, Jack comes out, does the intro, and then the curtain goes up, the piano's there, and Oscar comes out, um, sits down, and then we get another 
um, hallucination scene with Gershwin. And this is one that, like, I struggled with a little bit in terms of how it added to the story exactly. But it was basically Gershwin sort of almost bullying Oscar, saying, like, because... Oscar's like, if I go out there, I'm playing my own stuff. And then there's a bit of a quarrel about that because people are like, you should play stuff you know, or like blah, blah, blah. But he's like, I'm playing my own stuff if you're going to make me do it. He goes out, Gershwin shows up, and is basically bullying him, saying like, you're never going to be as good as me. Like, I don't know why you would play something original when you can play the stuff I've written so much better. And so, and my, what I think is he starts playing a Gershwin piece and when I tell you Sean Hayes tears up the piano for over 10 minutes, and he's, he's actually playing too, because if you don't know, Sean Hayes is a classically trained pianist, brilliant pianist mm-hmm. and musician, like everything he played in Will and Grace was his own. Um, he fully like gives a jaw-dropping concerto-like performance mm-hmm. um, for over 10 minutes, It and like it's... It's so beautiful the way he, his casting worked worked out. I don't know how they fully developed this. I just know, like, they did the show out in Chicago last year and then, you know, brought it to New York. Um, but I just don't know who else they could have gotten to do this because between the comedic, like, crassness that Sean Hayes is able to access on top of the fact that he is a classical musician. Yeah his piano playing is so authentic because you can tell he knows how to do it. And like, if you've ever seen a solo pianist before, like really like in their element, like feeling every note they're playing and everything, he, he does all of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's like watching a 10 minute monologue. It was beautiful. Um, there was like a stand, there was a standing ovation from half the audience after he finished playing. It was incredible. Um, but this is basically the point where he's chirping balls. And then um, he finishes and then it kind of cuts to him in the green room um, on the verge of ODing. And then it's because no one knows at this point that he chugged all those pills. Yeah. So, like, they're like, what happened? And then the doctor, like, is like, Max, like, what happened? Blah, blah, blah. And, like, he's like, why'd you give him the box? And Max was like, he said he needed his pill at eight. He said he needed his pill at eight. So they feed him a bunch of charcoal and, like, kind of revive him. Um, and then basically... Doom keeps her promise in because Oscar's like, you said I could come home. She's like, I did. Um, and the doc's like, you know, I don't think it's a good idea. And then Oscar's basically like, you know what? I'm actually going to go with him. And he go, he recommits himself basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it was actually, it was really heartbreaking. I just got a little choked up thinking about it because during one of his meltdowns earlier in the show, he talks about how, he has voices in his head that he can't get out. It's like the music and the voices like are stuck in there. And you know, the lead up with Gershwin and everything during his performance, when he, he says to June, he's like, I, he's like, I, I can't get the voices are back. Like I can't get them out. And it's so heartbreaking the way he says it. And so he basically goes back with him. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of June is the left one, last one left on stage. And then she exits and the show's over. Um, 100 minute show, no intermission. I fucking love this format so much. I hope it becomes so much more normalized, continues to, because it is. But I could, yeah, I couldn't imagine this show split into two acts. Um, but overall, it was really, really, really captivating. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, like I said, um, Sean Hayes is, it's not just, it's not just the celebrity status. He is 100% giving a Tony-worthy performance. I really hope he wins because it's, it's one of those things where it's like no one else in the world could possibly do this. You know, it's one of those things that's so special. Yeah. Um, and he's so transformative. He's so committed. You know, he, it's, I don't know if it's like almost Parkinson's related or if it's like, being just strung out from withdrawing but like he has like a tick and like a shake that he doesn't he doesn't stop the entire time like he's fully in it and like just his mannerisms the way he goes from like shrugging shit off and like blowing it off as a joke to like screaming and like having a full tear tear filled meltdown like it's it was really really impressive about the technical stuff so this got i think can you check on your phone quick i think i got three tony nominations Scenic design, lead actor, and costume design. Yeah. Um, so the technical stuff, the set the set was really cool. Um, the first thing you see is like the um, like dressing room, holding area room. Green room. It's not the green room though because it's bigger. It's like a conference room almost. Um, but it's like very fitting for the times it's like the it's got like the wood paneling like all the intricate pieces and props and stuff are really really well done um and the way they maneuver the set so like with when they get to the show and like they push it back actually no they don't push it back they lift it wow this entire because i looked up at one point they lifted the entire like main set into the rafters fucking shit's dangerous i know (laughs) i know because i can't imagine how heavy that is but um and then, yeah, with the curtain going up and then you're in the studio and it just feels so vast and big. And it, I'm thinking about it now, I think it added such a good dramatic element to it because it feels so, like, dark and cold and, like, scary in there. Yeah. And it's, like, we're, it's interesting because for, like, an audience member at home, all you see is, like, the camera angles. But you're sitting there and you're realizing how, like, unglamorous it really is. Yeah. You know? And I think that all really the adds... tape behind the scenes. And yeah, all that. yeah, like you know the pipes that are unpainted. Yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, and you see all of that, and I think it really adds a nice dramatic element. So um, like with any backstage, with audiences see it, it doesn't need. Yeah. Now, any cosmetic things. Yeah. Now we'll get into it in, in my next review, but there's a show that I think should have gotten a set design nomination over this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the costumes were interesting. Like nothing really popped to me. I don't know if it's just because they it's a they period. fit the period. It's but period. everything, like everything, was period. And that's what I'm saying. So, so like we, we talked about like musical winning, and even though Camelot had beautiful costumes, and especially you know, Guinevere had amazing costumes. And Juliet is a artistic view of right. costumes. So like anything that fits a period, something like a hot and all that's going to get a nomination just because it's. It's a period piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was interesting because, like, the sign from Sidney Brucey's window is also a period piece. And, like, I saw some photos from that production. And to me, it looked like more of a standout, excuse me, period visual presence than this did. But, I mean, it was still great. Um, the play itself was really good. Like I said, I my only issues were the, <laughs> some, of the, some of the hallucination stuff, just because it felt, like, a little inorganic. And actually, we'll talk about that type of stuff with my next review, too. Um, and then some stuff was, like, a little too on the nose. Like, there's a point where 
Oscar's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say I have obsessive compulsion or like something like that. And so like, it's almost like you, it was written to like explain to the audience what they're talking about. But like, I don't know right. if it needed to be said. Right. Yeah. And then like at the very end, I thought this, I, if y'all liked it, I'm sorry. I thought this was really lame when Oscar goes to leave with the doctor He's like, have my coffee ready for me when I get home. And then, like, June looks at him and goes, one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. Or, like, I think one does the one way, one does it the yeah. other. And I was like, oh, this is so It's that corny. very kitschy, yeah, corny. I'm like, it didn't have to end like this. Like, uh, yeah. It's like they wanted to do the callback, I guess. I don't know, but. I like the intention, but. But, yeah. So, overall, great show. Um. Highly recommend. I don't know when it's currently scheduled to be closing. Um, but like I said, if you get there early enough... Well, honking again. These $25 rush tickets are very worth it. Um, for reference, I got there around 8.45 yesterday, and I was second in line. But by 9.15, there was like a 25-person line. So. But it's very good. Also, nothing more entertaining than the line at the men's restroom at a play starring Sean Hayes. <laughs> it was so funny I went downstairs and everyone's like oh my god like the girls were like wow the guy's pet line is much longer than the girls bathroom I'm like I wonder why what now <laughs> why why because I think like all gay men I know I'm just kidding okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like when we saw company I was like I'm gonna go pee and then oh my like, god literally never mind <laughs> closing night Patty Lapone. I am not peeing for an hour yeah <laughs> literally but um that's it. So thank you all for listening. I'm sorry I didn't talk that much. I was enthralled and... Oh! My table flip moment! Look, see, we need structure. Yeah. <laughs> Almost forgot. My Teresa Judice table flip moment. No, um, don't say Teresa Judice. We don't support her. Just housewives. Cut that. Table flip moment. Table flip moment. Um, Teresa, I just watched the finale and I can't stand you anymore. <laughs> Um, over it the, so over it the piano solo for sure yeah like it was just it was jaw dropping incredible so good How, it was the on was he playing, playing from the side so that's the cool thing about being so close like I could like there was no doubt in my mind he played every single note that came out of that was piano. he playing from the side yeah so like the back to the, the audience no hit profile okay so like you can see the like the keys are like perpendicular to the stage mm -hmm. That's, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see like every single note he was hitting. I'm like, yeah, he's, there's no doubt he's fully doing this himself. It's really cool. I love it. But yeah, and it was cool like being close again, like the emotions and stuff. Like literally the only thing that bugged me was that pill bottle thing, but everything else. Was we'll cool. let it slide. We'll let it slide. <laughs> so, but all right, for real this time, thank you all for listening thank and you. stay tuned for the next ep because we're about to film it. Literally the same. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>